You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy. We are going to continue our God is series, and we're looking at uh, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, these, these letters written by the who we believe is a, the Apostle John. And, and we said in the very first week that John is addressing Gnosticism, which is his teaching um, that combines Greek and Oriental thought. Uh, the Gnostics believe that salvation from material existence w- came about through some kind of special knowledge, some kind of gnosis. Um, and then each group claimed to have exclusive knowledge. This is very similar to the cults that we see today where, where someone sets themselves as the go-between. Like, you get to God through me. John's going to address all these things. Um, they also believe that the world was created by a lesser deity. They took their pantheistic views, their pantheistic worldview, and, and tried to combine Christianity with it. And, and they really made a mess out of things. They also believe that they were incapable of committing real sins because the physical world was evil and the spiritual world was good. Well, the physical body is going to do what the physical body is going to do. So don't worry about it was their teaching. And John's going to say, baloney, that doesn't, that doesn't work. He addressed that uh, some last week when he talked about God being light. And Logan did a fantastic job of talking about God being light. Today, we're going to talk about God is father. God is father. Now, just as a reminder, John's going to use stark contrast. He's going to use light, uh, light and darkness. He's going to use righteousness and sin. Uh, children of God, children of the devil. He's, he's going to use these stark contrasts to highlight what he's talking about. He's actually going to use very simple terms, but then talk about them in complex ways when he adds things up. Um, he's not going to talk about things in a linear fashion where he talks about A and then he leaves that A alone and then he talks about B and leaves B alone and then talks about C and leaves C alone. He's going to talk about A and then come back around and talk about A again, but expand that view. He's going to amplify what he talked about when he first brought A up and then he'll bring something else in and then he'll amplify it even more and amplify it even more. And we'll use a word picture today to help you see that because it's, uh, it's really quite interesting what John does. It's actually made studying this a little challenging because he uses very simple terms, but he does it in kind of a complex way. And I think what I find the most interesting about John, uh, who's, who's been watching the, the show, The Chosen? So The Chosen is, uh, it's an app on your phone and you can cast it onto your TV. I've been, I've been watching and, and, and um, from a historical context standpoint, uh, very solid in, in what they're presenting. 
Uh, there's, there's some things I would interpret maybe a little differently here and there, but they're probably right anyway. Um, but what, what I find interesting is, is like the, the relationships and they, they show context for these relationships. And for instance, Matthew lives in Capernaum. He's a tax collector and Peter lives in Capernaum and he pays taxes to the tax collector. What, do you, what kind of relationship do you think they had? <laughs> just like all other relationships between tax collectors and taxpayers. I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's that good. So um, it gives you context, but in the show, they don't present John as this brilliant guy. He just comes across as a normal, you know, normal John, <laughs> uh, average John. But I believe that John's relationship, his intimate relationship, helped him to understand this relationship in such complex ways. And, and I love the way he presents that, not only in this gospel, but these letters. So we'll talk probably more about that. I want us to wrestle with a question this morning as we get started. And this is a question I believe that every one of us has wrestled with at some point. Maybe this week, maybe 30 years ago, but we probably have wrestled with this question. How can I know that I'm saved? How can I know that I am in a right relationship with God? And for some of us, this, this is a real-time question. I, I've wrestled with this question. Not recently, but there was a time where this was a real time. Like I, I had to know, like I was going to my passion, like, am I saved? Am I saved? Um, my dad had that conversation with his mom when my dad was in his forties, he came back to Christ and he's trying to live this out and he's trying to figure it out. And he's asking this question of his mom. His mom said, you, you wouldn't ask that question if you weren't saved. That was her, that was her viewpoint on that. We may have to wrestle with this question, not from the standpoint of I'm answering it for myself, but maybe I need to help my son or my daughter or my best friend or my neighbor wrestle with this question. How do I know that I'm saved? Is it, is it a prayer? Like, is the prayer enough? Is that what it, is that what it takes? Is it, um, is it special knowledge like the Gnostics say? Is it church attendance? Do we just, do we get Joe Blow? Do we get Johnny to church? And, and, and then we're good. Is that what we're after? Is it the fact that they, they claimed it? They said it. Hey, I'm a Christian. And so, hey, they said they're a Christian. That's, that's enough. That's enough for me. How do we know that we are in a right relationship with God and how do we help other people know that they are in a right relationship with God? John wants to answer that question this week. So starting in 1 John 3, he says, so see how great a love the father has bestowed on us that we will be called children of God. Such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Now, I want to stop here because 
this, this idea, this concept of being a child of God, this, this may be something you're like, yeah, I'm so familiar with this. I've been, I've known about this for decades. Of course, we're children of God. But when John was writing this, this was not the first thing that people thought when, the, when it came to their relationship with God. It was not the first thing that they thought of. In fact, John is the only gospel writer to use this phrase. It's, it's used by Paul and Peter, but he's the only gospel writer to present this idea that we become children of God. He does so in John 1, 12 and 13. But as, as many receive him, as many receive Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And we know in the, in the encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus says that you must be born again, that you must be born of water and the spirit. And he focuses in on the spirit. John's going to talk about the spirit, the Holy Spirit in unique ways. In, and I believe um, in bigger ways, he's going to talk about the, he's going to say more about the Holy Spirit than the other gospel writers combined. He's going to talk about being born of God, being a child of God more than the other gospel writers. But he also talks about God, this, this Greek word, Peter. He talks about father in distinctive ways. Now, all the gospel writers talk about the heavenly father, but when you hear heavenly father, how close do you think the father is? Well, about as close as heaven is, which doesn't feel very close, right? John, go, go look at it. Go read the gospel of John again through the lens of what John says about the father. What John records Jesus saying, because, because the, the, the gospel writers are just recording what they heard. But I think John had longer to think about this. And two to one, he talks about the father over the other gospel writers. And rarely does he have to put this disclaimer that he's a heavenly father. It's just the father. It's the father. Let me tell you about the father. Let's talk about the father. The father does this. The father does this. I pay attention to the father. I obey a father. I'm here to present the father. Like look at how John talks about the father and you'll see something unique and different and maybe gain a greater understanding of how intimate of a relationship John invites us to. And there's other things we'll see in this chapter that will lead us to that conclusion as well. 115 times he uses the word father. Seven times he's talking about some other person. Over a hundred times he talks about God as father. And, and there's not another gospel writer that refers to the father more than 50 times. It's different. His perspective on God as father is unique. See how great a love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved. John's going to use beloved and little children. He's going to use these connecting terms to 
highlight something new. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when we, when he appears, we will be like him. In other words, when we are in heaven, this, this body that suffers, this body that decays over time will get put away and we'll have the We'll have the perfect body and we will be like him. Our relationships between each other will be different. We'll have heavenly relationships. Jesus talks about that. We'll probably talk about that in footnotes, but he says, we're going to be like him because we'll see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope, this hope of heaven, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Okay. So he said, we are children of God and let's talk, let's go a little bit further. Let's amplify this. Yes. We are children of God. You said the prayer. I'm grateful that you said the prayer. You're attending church. I'm glad you're attending church, but do you purify yourself because of this hope of heaven? Gnostics, saying that you could just live however you want to because your body is evil. That doesn't work because the children of God, they purify themselves. John says he's amplifying his point here. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him, there is no sin. How foolish would it be for us to continue to live the life of sin that we lived before we came to know Christ because we're forgiven. When Christ came to deal, deal with our sin, how foolish would that be? No one who abides in him sins and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Now, He's using hyperbole. We said that he uses hyperbole. We know in 1 John 1, he tells us that we should confess our sins, that we say if we're sinless, we make God a liar. So in this chapter, he's using hyperbole. He's using exaggerated language to communicate a point. He goes on, little children. Logan said he felt like this was maybe condescending um, last week. Well, either John is old enough to call everybody little, little children and, and no one's going to care. Uh, I don't see anybody in the room here that matches that record. You know, <laughs> I don't know if anybody in here is old enough for that, but John might be that old that no one, no one thinks that's condescending or he's just simply saying little children of the most high God. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The son of God appeared for this purpose. He appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices him because his seed abides in him and he cannot stand because he is born of God. Well, let's talk real quick about practicing. Do you know how many hours of practice it takes for you to be an expert? The experts, I don't know what they were practicing to, to come to this conclusion, 
what makes them an expert, but the experts will tell you that 10,000 hours of practice will make you an expert. Uh, apparently you have to have some kind of skill. Me practicing singing for 10,000 hours will do you guys no good. <laughs> I will edify you no more or no less with 10,000 hours. But let's say, I'm, let's say I'm decent at basketball and I practice for 10,000 hours. That practice for 10,000 hours. I mean, this is why Michael Jordan was who Michael Jordan was because of his work ethic, because he practiced longer harder, more consistently than anybody else. There's certain people that their, like their work ethic is what helps them excel. You see, you see a, a, a receiver coming out of like um, Eastern Washington University, and now he's playing for, was it San Diego? I can't remember. It's one of those California teams. Um, you know, he, he went to Eastern Washington University, a tiny little school, and he's in the NFL as one of the best wide receivers because of his work ethic, because of his practice. John's saying is, is don't become an expert in your sin. Don't spend your 10,000 hours on the things that Jesus came to destroy. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And yet that is where you're spending your time and your energy. I wonder if there's something that you and I need to be looking at in our lives where we're like, um, man, I, I'm so good. I'm so good at going 10 over the speed limit. I am so good at uh, adjusting the truth. I'm so good at turning on that particular program that I hope no one sees me watching when they come walking through the door. I'm so good at covering up my internet browsing traffic. I'm so good at that thing that Christ came to destroy because it's the work of the enemy. Like it's such a simple concept, but he says it in such a profound way. Let's look at this uh, next picture. This is John amplifying the conversation. He says that we are children of God. And if we're going to be children of God, we know that someday we will be like him. If we're going to be like him, if we have this hope that we're going to be like him, that someday we're going to be in heaven with him, we're going to see him face to face, then we purify ourselves. And how do we purify ourselves? Like, how do I do that? What's the mechanism? Well, we abide in Christ to purify ourselves. Like I don't purify myself by myself. It's back to first John. It's back to confession. First John chapter one, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to cleanse us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Like I abide in Christ to purify myself. And as I abide in Christ, as I observe what he commands, as I look at the things that he wants me to live for, as I read his words, engage with his scriptures, I practice the things that I see in front of me, not because I've already got it figured out, but you know, you go to practice to, to get better at whatever it is you're trying to do. If it's basketball, you go to basketball practice and, and, and the coach coaches you on new plays and, and new techniques and, and how to post up and how to block out and, 
and, and running lots of lines, right? It's practice, not because you're good already, but because you want to be good. Jesus says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness in your own life, you will be satisfied. All these things working together. John is amplifying this idea of what it means to be a child of God. And so praying, praying the sinner's prayer, fantastic. But we don't high five and call that good. That's why we disciple people. That's why we make disciples to make disciples. Attending services. Fantastic. Love that. I think it's necessary. I think it's helpful. But if it doesn't lead you to purifying yourselves and abiding in Christ and practicing righteousness, then it hasn't gone far enough. And maybe we're just fooling ourselves. John goes further. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. So he just spent some time on what it means to be a child of God. And now he's going to amplify this some more. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So remember last week, John connected the idea of being in the light and loving our brother. This week, he connects the idea of being a child of God and loving our brother. These are all connected in John's mind. For this is the message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Within God's church, within God's kingdom, we should be better at loving each other than any place else. And not, not just between these four walls, but within our homes. And, and until we get really good at that, let's keep practicing. Let's keep practicing. For this is the message we had heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So again, John's going to use hyperbole. He's, he's going to use comparisons, stark contrasts. He's going to use really simple terms like, like a fifth grader can understand all these words. But he's going to combine them together in complex ways to create a complex picture that, that our relationship with God is more than just a prayer. It's more than just a baptism. It's more than just a showing up for Sunday, which, which all those things are good. They're all beneficial. They're all helpful. They're a great start. But it's not everything that we're called to. If our relationships don't change, if the way we interact with each other when we don't agree on, on the color of the carpet, or when we divide over the, the smallest difference in understanding theologically. It's problematic. 
Um, it's not that uncommon for me to see a, a Facebook post of, of someone that I love and somebody that I value and, and, I, and I know they claim Christ as their own, but that, that, that meme let communicates to the world that I hate that person. The, the meme that they post says, I hate that person. How often have you seen that from your friends or, or maybe your own posts? I don't know. And John says, you can't hate them and love Christ at the same time. You can't hate them, love the one that called them into their family. I've been really enjoying the show, The Chosen. And uh, it, it provides some context. I, I love the way they've put flesh and blood on, on these relationships. And, and you see, uh, I just watched last night where uh, Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector and Peter Bell comes unglued like you'd expect him to tax. You know, uh, Matthew has been charging, has been holding um, Peter accountable for his taxes in, in, the, in the earlier shows. And you, and you see the, the conflict there. And I'm like, Oh, I know where we're going with this, you know, and, and we don't realize how small Capernaum really was. So of course they knew each other. Of course they knew each other. They were enemies until Christ called them into relationship with each other. And John got to see that firsthand. And that's the, that is the context that John talks about. The Roman sympathizer with the zealot. Living in community, loving and serving together. Jesus being the unifying element of their life. It's almost like Republicans and Democrats can, can actually love each other and work together and serve alongside each other. It's almost like that's possible, according to John. And then he goes further when he talks about love. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, he'll, he'll again call our attention. Let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. So love looks like how Jesus lived, but we can't just talk about what Jesus did. We actually have to do something with what Jesus did. We will know by this, that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him in whatever our heart condemns us for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know 
by this, that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And so John, John adds one more element. He, he keeps amplifying, right? He keeps amplifying, adding to the picture. It's the spirit that enables us to live all of this out. We need that spirit. And again, we're going to talk about God is spirit. God is in us. God is in us through his spirit. Um, in two weeks, but John introduces that idea here that we need the Holy spirit. And then he jumps a whole chapter later. And in the first three verses, he summarizes chapter three. And then he amplifies one more time. He says this, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves a child born by him or born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. If we're going to live out the things that Christ calls us to live out, it's going to take faith. To turn the other cheek when someone strikes us takes faith because that doesn't seem natural. It doesn't seem like the right response. It's not the way we've always done things. When someone asks us to go, to go one mile and we choose to go two miles, that takes faith. It takes faith that, that God can actually do something about the things going on in our world. He could actually change Rome if we do things his way. Again, that the show um, last, you know, last night, the, the question that they're wrestling with was, are you going to deal with Rome now, Jesus? That was the big question that the disciples were wrestling with in the chosen. And, and, and Nicodemus had that question. Are you, are you here to deal with Rome? Are you going to start a revolution? And Jesus says, I'm going to start a revolution, but that not the kind that you're used to. This is not going to be the Maccabean revolt. I'm going to change Rome, Jesus says to Nicodemus. And Rome won't know what happened to them. And if you think about human history, Christ changed Rome from the inside out. He changed Rome without using a sword. He changed Rome by laying down his life, not his brother's life. He sacrificed himself instead of someone else. That takes faith. That takes faith. Because it, it doesn't seem... The things that God calls us to seems upside down and backwards sometimes to be generous when we really need generosity ourselves. Like, ah, I need some generosity. Come let some generosity come my way. But, but the opportunity is for us to be generous. It takes faith to, to live like Jesus in those moments. I drew another word picture just to kind of, show this because John 
John has so much to say and he says it with such simple terms, but he just connects these thoughts to each other and uses comparing and contrast and hyperbole. And, and, and he says this, you'll know the child of God and you'll know the child of the devil of the evil one by how they live. The child of God's going to love his brother. The one of the devil, they're going to either ignore the needs or they're, or they're going to, you know, they're going to say nice things. They'll, they'll, they'll hit that heart emoji. They'll throw up the prayer hands, but you'll never see him do anything. Since the child of God will lay down their own life. While the child of the devil Lay down, will lay down their brother's life. The child of God is enabled by the Holy Spirit. The evil one has his own condemning spirit. The child of God lives by faith. You all live by faith, by the way, this morning when you came in. In the chairs. I didn't see a one of you inspect that chair to make sure that it was going to hold you up. Not a one of you checked out the chair to make sure that the screws were all in there. They are. <laughs> I left them in there. You didn't, you didn't read the tag to see if it would hold, hold, you know, it was designed properly. You just, you trusted, you acted by faith. You put all of your, essence, <laughs> you allowed that chair to hold you up. Will you live with the same kind of faith in your God when he says, live your life this way? Will you just allow his words to hold you up? Who he is? hold you up. The implication is this. You can be confident that you are a child of God when you seek to obey his command to love as Christ loved you. That's John's message. It's simple and complex. It's super simple, but it's also complex in the way he presents it. And maybe, maybe you've been wrestling, man, am I really saved? Am I, am I really, did, did that prayer take? Did God really accept me? And John's going to say, spend 10,000 hours of practicing righteousness. Spend 10,000 hours of chasing after your God. Spend 10,000 hours of abiding in him. Spend your life and your energy on this hope and on this calling. Practice, practice, practice the things that you see Jesus talk about. And in practicing that, you will assure yourself. And when our friends come to us and they're like, uh, how do I know? How do I know? Invite them into a life of 10,000 hours of practicing righteousness of practicing the things that have become second nature to you. 
Again, John presents this in simple ways, but I think we sometimes oversimplify and like, man, if you just say the prayer, life would be perfect. Oh, that's the very first step. If you just attend my church, that sounds a little like Gnosticism. (laughs) It's more than that. It's more intimate than that. It's more relational than that. You can be confident though. So some next steps. Invest in your intimacy with Christ. John is going to use this term abide, and we'll talk about this in footnotes, but that that term in the Greek, that Greek word in the Septuagint first shows up in Leviticus. And it's this picture of, it's talking about, um, oh, what's Joshua would leprosy. It's talking about leprosy, how leprosy abides within the body. You, when, when someone's got leprosy, you can't separate the leprosy from them. Can you? It's like white on rice. John is inviting us to be white on rice with Jesus. He uses this term 10 times in chapter two seven times in chapter three and six times in chapter four of this very short letter. If you want to ensure that you are in a right relationship with God, abide, abide, abide. John introduces this as a concept in John chapter 15. Logan presented that last week, but I'll just give you uh, this verse. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you. In other words, how do we abide with Christ? It's by engaging with his word. It's the 10,000 hours of engaging with God's word over a lifetime. A number of years ago, I served as a pastor to uh, some retirement homes and and one had a dementia ward. And this one gal in particular, each week when I met her, I got to reintroduce myself to her. Hi, I'm Rob. I'm Pastor Rob. Glad to meet you. Um, Each week she was really excited to meet me, probably because she didn't hear me preach the week before or she didn't remember the sermon (laughs) from the week before. She was the most excited person to meet me ever. Um, when she started to worship, I knew that she was suddenly in her right mind. Because as we were getting ready to sing the songs, she'd be like, I just love Jesus so much. I love him. Hey, we're going to sing this song. Oh, I love singing that song to Jesus. That lady abided with Christ. She was intimate with him. That is the kind of relationship that John is calling us to. And he wants to tell us over and over and over again, because he saw how it changed not only himself, but his world. 
and whole communities of people. It made a difference in his life. And he wants us to have that difference as well. My grandmother would read her Bible every day that she could. Now, when she was uh, later in her years, um, her eyesight was not what it used to be. And I knew that because she had this machine that my aunt and uncle had bought her and she had run her Bible under a magnet and it like up on the screen, it was like a, like a 72, maybe 140 font. I don't know. It was like ginormous. It was a six font on the Bible that she had always had, but on the screen, like, so if, if it wasn't like, you know, that big up on the wall, she wasn't reading it. She had that machine for her Bible. She was, she longed for that time every day to engage with God's word. And and that's where I learned it. Invest in your intimacy with Christ. That's why we have care groups and our life transforming groups. And each will take you to a new level of intimacy. If If you don't have that already, jump into care groups. If you're in a care group and you're like, man, I still need some more intimacy, jump into a life transforming group because it will go deeper. It'll take you deeper. You'll engage with God's word more consistent, more regularly. Number two, love people through tangible actions, not just with word or with tongue. I know that when Christy and I were in Seattle for, for a year and a half, Lots of posts about why we were in Seattle and how things were going. Um, lots of heart emojis, lots of prayer emojis, lots of uh, words sent our way. Um, and sometimes that's all you can really do. That's, that's, that's all you got. Um, I can, every time I see a Facebook post, I can't drive down the street to do something about it, Right but I don't remember those posts. I don't remember those responses. What I remember are the people that called me. I remember the people that Marco poloed me. I remember the people that drove over to visit. Saying that you love me is helpful. Me saying that I love you may be helpful but we're called to actually live it out in deed and in truth. And, and not just to put on a show, not just so the rest of the world knows that I did it. Like you, uh, we probably had that person in our life where when they come walking through the door to help you out, they, you know, they, they, got, they bring their own fireworks, you know, so they could just, <laughs> you know, pat themselves on the back over, I, I made it, I showed up to your life. John says, love people through tangible actions. Number three, obey God. Even when everything you see tells you differently. Obey God. Even when you can't see to the end. My dad used to say, if you can't see to the end, then God has to show up. And so often when we are called to live things out differently, when when God's word says, don't go left, go right. And, you, and you're like, uh, that, 
that feels more natural. That feels easier. That feels better. But God says, no, I'm calling you this way anyway. Again, the, the, the show, the chosen, like they do, they do a good job of just showing what that looks like. These, these guys that are wrestling over God, Jesus, we want you to do it this way. And Jesus is like, nope, we're going this way, guys. Uh, when, when the leper comes and, and Jesus chooses to heal the, the disciples, they're pulling out their knives because they don't want the guy to come any closer. And they're like, man, you come closer, we're going to end you. And Jesus is like, we're not here to end people. And the trust just to go where Jesus goes and where, where he leads will require faith. require us to step out regardless of what it looks like. That's the life we're called to live. If we do these things, we can be confident that we are a child of God. We will instill confidence in ourselves. And, and if we lead other people to do the same thing, we'll help them to be confident too. Someone you're discipling, they're not, they're not totally sure. Well, am I saved? Keep living these things out and you'll be confident. You'll become confident. Just keep practicing. Keep going. You're doing good stuff. I see the mistakes. That's okay. God can handle the mistakes. Keep practicing. 10,000 hours. We got 9,999 to go. Let's do this. We can be confident and we can help other people be confident too. That we're children of God. That doesn't take some kind of special knowledge. It just takes some guts to move forward. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come say hello. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.